Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. Yeah, thanks Stanley. Yeah, look, it's a real pleasure, a real honour actually to bring, uh, bring us God's Word this morning. And yeah, I thought I'd just briefly touch on us as a family. As you can see there, that's, that's us. Um, if you have young kids, you are thinking that's been photoshopped because there is no way you can get two kids smiling in the same photo. Uh, that's not how the universe works, right? Normally one's pulling a funny face, the other one's got their finger up their nose. That's how it works. But um, the, the trick is to get those sort of photos is to say, hey kids, uh, smile on three, but you take the photo on one. That's how I got that. And as you can see, my oldest, so Isaac, he's 10, look at him. He is gearing up right there. He's gearing up the photobomb there. And, and fair enough, right? Like when you name your child Isaac, who literally means laughter, yeah, you can kiss all good family photos away. Like he brings a lot of laughter to the family. And of course, our youngest, Claire. Uh, whatever Isaac's doing, she's 110% in as well. So those two create a lot of joy, uh, a lot of fun times. And uh, yeah, Claire's going to be turning five next month. So she starts school next month. And to be honest, I don't know who's more excited about her going to school, her or mum, you know? Like, <laughs> but there we go. And of course, last but definitely not least is my amazing, wonderful wife, Shana who, if you've been coming to this church for you know, longer than five minutes, you'll probably recognize her, if not from that photo, from her voice. Like, she has an incredible voice, just wow. And yeah, a lot of you are nodding because you've been in her presence and it's just like, oh, it's awesome. And uh, yeah, made it go red. Perfect. <laughs> uh, and we've been married now 13 years. Um, but yeah, as uh, Stanley mentioned before, one of the big pivotal life-changing events for us as a family, uh, first as a family of three, but then as a family of four, is yeah, we, lived, uh, we moved to a country in Southeast Asia for two and a half years. Now, it's a nation that is repeatedly um, on the list of top 50 worst countries to be in as a Christian. Uh, so it's the kind of place that um, they don't really like Christians. Uh, pastors have been known to simply vanish. Uh, believers there, they'll get kicked out of their family, kicked out of the village. It's that sort of environment. And so we were there to help support the local church. Uh, we were there to help um, share Jesus to that region because a lot of the people there, they, just, they don't even know the name of Jesus. So when people hear our story, perhaps one of the first things um, I always get asked was, well, how do you share Jesus in that context? How do you do that when it's so dangerous? And my tongue-in-cheek reply was always, well, very carefully, because we didn't want to start a prison ministry from the inside. <laughs> but, you know, as I've sort of thought about that question a lot since being back in New Zealand, I wonder, you know, when people ask me, how do you evangelize, right? Or how do you share Jesus, right? It's the same thing. How do you do that in a difficult context? Um, I wonder if that's because, and I put myself in this um, camp as well, I think, I wonder if we have too narrow a view sometimes of what evangelism is like perhaps when you think of evangelism you're thinking of somebody handing out tracks on a street or they've got a, a, a microphone or bullhorn and just you know that very 
blunt, direct evangelism, which it is part of evangelism, but it's not the only way. And in fact, if you did that in Southeast Asia, you'd get kicked out real fast. So this morning, I thought I'd take us um, through a couple of examples in the Bible of what evangelism is, you know, how it's done in the Bible, uh, and sort of, sort of remind us of how varied and different it, it is, um, and that it doesn't need to be a big, scary thing. Like, we want to see our friends and our family walking with God alongside us, right? Um, we can't help but want to share that to people. Uh, it's just we get sometimes stuck on the how. And so hopefully we will be encouraged this morning, okay? Uh, so if you brought your Bible with you this morning, go ahead, swipe across to Acts chapter 16. Uh, it's going to be up on the screen as well, so you can follow along. Uh, that's the chapter we're prom- uh, predominantly going to be in today. And if you are the note-taking type, there's going to be three examples, and you can put your bullet points down after each example. So, as you're finding Acts chapter 16, let me set the context, okay? So Jesus has risen from the dead, right? He's ascended back into heaven to be with the Father. And the disciples have begun to spread out to share the good news of Jesus' resurrection with them. A few years later, a man named Paul, uh, he meets Jesus, and now he's going even further out into the Roman Empire. And so Acts chapter 16 picks up uh, the point in Paul's journey where he and his companions, Silas, Timothy, and probably Luke the doctor, uh, they have crossed over from what we would call modern-day Turkey into Greece, all right? So in the area of Greece. And so they are there in Greece to tell people about Jesus, Greeks, Romans, Jews, anyone they come across. And so that's where our story picks up. So let's jump into it. And our first case study is a, a lady named Lydia who lives in the city of Philippi. So verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she prevailed upon us. I love this story of Lydia. Lydia, it says, is a God-fearing woman. Like she's a seeker. She's not hostile to the gospel. She's curious. She's seeking to know God. And so first, as we look at evangelism, let's look at where evangelism happens. And that first point is basically at church. She's among believers of a woman who are seeking God. She's in community. She's actively putting herself in a place to find God, to find meaning for her life. So yeah, she's fine. we're doing evangelism first in church, here in community, as we hear a message, as we share our life with one another over, over coffee and, and that sort of thing, as we pray for each other. It happens in Sunday school and our youth groups and uh, men's groups and women's groups and all sorts of home groups that we have. It's in those moments when uh, God speaks to us as we are in community with God's people, the church. Evangelism can and does happen here in church. And notice also who does the work, right? It says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And that takes the pressure off a bit, doesn't it? 
Like you don't need to have cue cards uh, to share your faith. It's evangelism should come naturally as we simply let God uh, do his work using us. Paul taught about Jesus and the Holy Spirit did the rest. Next, we see uh, in this example the type of people who need Jesus. And in this example, it is the rich, the rich who need to know Jesus. You see, Lydia was a dealer, a trader in purple cloth. In those days, it was made from a certain type of seashell that when crushed would make a purple color, and that was mixed with their fabric, and it was extremely costly to make. Very, very expensive. And so only the super well-off had purple cloth, right? So think royalty. So Lydia isn't some fresh out of college, uh, university student wondering how she's going to pay off her debt. She's established a profitable business, right, in a niche market. She's rubbing shoulders with the elite, with powerful people. If not directly with them, then at least with their representatives. She owns a big enough house to confidently and comfortably host Paul and his companions. So it's safe to say she's doing all right, right? And what's more, when you read that sentence, and she prevailed us, or another translation, uh, she persuaded us, that's a polite translation of the word persuade. The Greek there is really forceful, like it's, it's almost a violent persuasion. Okay, my point is this. She's no pushover, right? She's a strong woman. She's a woman who's very comfortable at brokering tough business deals. And she seems to be doing more than okay in life with a large house, profitable business, family. But what she's missing in life is the gospel. And when she hears it, she grabs it with both hands. She's so thrilled to have God, she opens up her house in hospitality. She's hungry for God's word. Friends, the rich and the powerful, they need the gospel. They need Jesus. People like Lydia. In fact, every class of people we will see need the gospel. So let's look at our next example. The demonic slave girl. Pick this up in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. You see, 2,000 years ago, when this was roughly written, if you had wealth and power, you could own people. You could have slaves. They were your property. Scholars estimate you know, that at the height of the Roman Empire, roughly there was about 2 million slaves. That's what the world was like back then. Today, even though we are a society that um, prides itself on being so modern, uh, so enlightened, so advanced, today, even in our society, nothing's changed. In fact, it's gotten worse. 
Today there are at least 50 million slaves, is what they reckon. 50 million. We have good friends in Southeast Asia where we lived whose sole ministry is to provide uh, refuge and safe working environments for young girls who have been uh, rescued from the sex trafficking industry. Those young girls get tricked and trapped into slavery because their families are poor, um, and they get tricked into it. That, unfortunately, is the reality um, of many places in the world today. Slavery is still going on today because the human heart, without God, doesn't change. It just gets more wicked. We need Jesus. So these girls and men today uh, who are enslaved are in many ways like the slave girl. They are poor. They are powerless. They are destitute. This slave girl that Paul and Silas meet is at the absolute bottom of Roman society. She is at the mercy of her owners. They have complete control over her life. And if that's not bad enough, she is demon-possessed, right? Howled in spiritual darkness, all while someone makes money off her wretched condition. And what's her name? We don't know. Her identity is in her imprisonment. Demonic, possessed slave girl. That is her identity until, right? Until she has an encounter with Jesus Christ through meeting Paul and Silas. The power of Jesus sets her free from this demonic oppression, right? Friends, the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden, they need the gospel too. And look at where this is happening. We saw previously how Lydia basically met Jesus in, in a church environment. Here, the slave girl, she receives the gospel, not at church, but in a public place. We are told that Paul and his companions were walking to the place of prayer. So they're out in public, out walking to church, and they keep getting this demonic, uh, possessed slave girl shouting, shrieking, screaming out to everyone, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Paul and his companions are bringing the gospel, right? Bringing the good news of Jesus to the city. And they, are, they, they can't have people uh, thinking that the good news of Jesus is somehow mixed up with demons. They don't want a false witness. See, evangelism must be done with truth and love, right? Ephesians 4.15 uh, encourage us to speak the truth in love. Those two must always be together. As theologian Warren Wiersbe succinctly sums it up like this, that truth without love is brutality, while love without truth is hypocrisy. Paul and Silas, they don't want error coming into their message. In fact, there may even be a subtle error uh, in the demonic slave girl's statement. Uh, one very literal translation uh, says, it like, says it like this. These men are servants of the Most High God who declare to us a way of salvation. Did you spot it? A way to salvation. Jesus isn't a way. He's not one of many different ways to salvation. He's the only way. Jesus himself declares in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except
except through me. The cross was the only way for the justice and the mercy of God to meet, right? To triumph together. So Jesus is the only way to be saved. And so in one way, uh, the gospel is very exclusive, right? We can only come through Jesus and Jesus only. And yet on the other hand, it's very inclusive, right? All are invited, rich and poor, old and young, um, you know, male and female. We are all free to come and to freely receive the good news of God's grace through Jesus Christ. So we have Paul's words first declaring the gospel, but then his actions powerfully declare or show the gospel in action. We see this picking up our story in verses 22. The crowd joined in in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten after they had been severely flogged. They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Why are they being beaten and thrown into prison? None of that needed to happen. You see, later in Acts 22, verse 25, Paul avoids imprisonment. He avoids a beating by telling the centurion, the Roman guard, I'm a Roman citizen. The centurion freaks out. He just put Paul in chains. Even that was a big no-no. None of this needed to happen. So why did he do it? Why didn't he use his get-out-of-free-jail card? Especially when other translations describe this event as them being beaten with rods. Why did they stay silent? Paul and Silas stay silent because they love the slave girl, just as Jesus loves them. You see, the slave owners, they were mad with rage, weren't they? They had just lost their main source of income, and they wanted blood. They wanted revenge. Their lavish lifestyle was built on the back of this poor girl, and that's all gone. They needed to vent their rage. And if Paul had played his Roman card too early, who would they have vented on? Eh? Yeah, the slave girl. No one would have cared. The oppressed. Paul had rights, but he doesn't use them because the gospel was way more important to him. He and Silas simply ask, in that situation, what makes Jesus look good? And we're doing that. Consequences be, be stuffed. You know, like, that was their... That was their that was their heart. You see, they are simply imitating Jesus. Jesus didn't demand his rights, but instead he laid them down, taking our place on the cross, substituting his life for ours. Paul and Silas simply show us who their true treasure is really in. What I'm getting at is this. Evangelism isn't just words, but it's action working alongside our words. The two go hand in hand. Our lives should reflect what we believe all the time, not just on Sundays. And when it doesn't, we simply call that repentance, right? God, I'm sorry. Please empower me with your love. Help me. That's all it is. Continual repentance. 
church. The rich need Jesus. The poor and oppressed need Jesus. Let's look at our final case study. Pick it up in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he had thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. You know, out of the three characters we've, been, uh, we've met this morning, Lydia, the slave girl, and now the jailer, uh, j- the jailer is the character I think I relate to uh, the easiest. You see, for me, after high school, uh, most of my life has been centered around manual labor, um, mostly as a mechanical engineer. Often I'm covered in grease and grime, uh, but it's a job I enjoy. Uh, it puts food on the table, a roof over our heads, Uh, It hasn't made us rich by New Zealand standards. Um, I'm not going to retire anytime soon, but we aren't anywhere near the poverty line. We are a typical middle-class Kiwi family, and our jailer is a bit like that. He's working a nine-to-five type job, right? In fact, it's a government job. Uh, The Roman Empire paid him. Uh, He was most likely a retired centurion, Uh, from the Roman army, so he's ex-military. This guy's your your average middle-income blue-collar worker. And so we see that the middle class need Jesus too. And look at where this example of evangelism is happening. It's happening at work. Right? (laughs) And again, we will see see evangelism done slightly different. Uh, So in the slave girl's case, it was proclaim the gospel and then show it. In this case, it's going to be the other way around. So back to Paul and Silas. These two guys are falsely imprisoned, right? Publicly beaten and now chained in the most secure part of the jail, right? In a cell, feet in stocks, it says. They are singing and praying uh, to God, and I love how the Bible says, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Not like they had a choice. Anyways, they are in prison, and in the middle of the night, the earthquake opens the door and destroys the stocks they're in. Put yourself in their position. Isn't this the miracle of God they're probably being praying for? For God to release them? He's setting us free. I mean, that's what I'd be thinking. Boom, I'd be out of there. <laughs> but no, not these guys. They stay where they are. They stay in prison. Who does that? Especially when you're falsely imprisoned. Again, Paul and Silas, they give up their rights, their personal freedoms, because the gospel, again, is way more important to them. 
It's that same question. What makes Jesus look good? And we're doing that. That's what we're thinking. And that's what spoke so powerfully to the jailer who, in a moment of crisis, he sees the gospel in action. We read how this ex-military, you know, man's man comes trembling to Paul and Silas saying, what must I do to be saved? He gets it. No one stays in prison when they have the opportunity to escape. There is something far more powerful going on here. And, he is, and these guys are unlike any other prisoner he has ever seen or come across before, and he must know why. Why are you guys so different? And Paul then shares the gospel to the jailer, right? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Again, same message, right? That never changes. It's all about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. God saves this middle-class, ex-military man who on the surface seems content with his life, content until crisis hits. All of a sudden, everything he has worked hard for to accomplish in his life, his career, his status, in the blink of an eye, gone. And the shame of failing at his job was going to be too much to bear. You see, in those days, Paul and Silas were in the inner cell of the prison, uh, so the jailer was personally liable for them under Roman law to keep them secure. If those two men escaped, his life was forfeited. And so in that moment of need, that moment of crisis, that moment of despair and hopelessness for him, Paul and Silas were there to bring the good news of Jesus to this jailer. They were there to first show and then tell the jailer the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the only one true God, that's where we get our true identity from, a true identity that in crisis can never be taken away. Our jailer and his family receive Christ because the middle class need Jesus too. Church, that's our three examples. Whirlwind case study on evangelism. Uh, All our cases of evangelism had the good news of Jesus Christ brought to them, right? The gospel is Jesus takes our punishment for our sin, makes us right with God. We are no longer guilty but we are part of God's family. And with it comes salvation, joy, hope, peace. Yes, even in those times of suffering and pain. Yet all three examples were done in a slightly different way. Action, then words, words and action. Same Jesus, just different approach. So I can't really say to us now, well, here's three steps for you to go out and practice doing evangelism. It doesn't quite work that way. All I can really say with 100% is that Jesus must be at the center of it. The rest is up to us to listen to the Holy Spirit lead and guide us. And so we saw different uh, classes of people receive the gospel, right? The rich, the poor, the middle class, everyone needs Jesus. We saw different life circumstances. Lydia was actively looking for Jesus. Slave girl wasn't even looking for Jesus. Well, the jailer found Jesus in a moment of crisis. And there were different social settings, weren't there? Lydia hears the gospel basically at church. Uh, The slave girl was out in public, wasn't she? While the jailer, he was at work. And because evangelism happens in so many areas and spheres of life, 
That means we all have a part, a unique part, to play in it. And so here are two questions uh, we can ask ourselves as we come to a close. And I'll just invite the music team um, up, please, to lead us in a final song of praise. And as they do, here's two questions to be thinking over. First question is this. Where has God currently placed you so that you can bring the love and the power of Jesus to that environment? Does your job mean that you interact with the rich and powerful? You know, so pray for the rich. Pray for those business meetings you're part of. Um, ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom in that moment. How best to reveal the gospel in both your word and in your deed? Or do you work with the poor, the oppressed, the outcasts of society? Has God put a burden on your heart for those who have no voice, for the hurting and the lost? Again, be praying or continue to pray into that area of society that the gospel would advance. Ask God where he is working so you can be part of it. Or you might be working a nine-to-five job. Or if you're a parent, 24-7 job. <laughs> God has placed us in the middle class. Again, let's be praying into that area, right? Keep asking for his grace as you change nappies, you know, make coffees, teach students, pay the bills, manage people, whatever it is you do. You know, God has placed you there for a reason. You are, there, you are needed as a witness there to reveal and to declare and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Or maybe you are retired, right? Uh, retired from work, but not from being a Christian. So who is it that God has put into your area of life? Friends, family, the church. You play an important part too. And our final question for us to think over is this. Where can God grow and stretch you so that you have an even greater impact for those that, uh, uh, sorry, his love and power? You know, as we went through those three case studies, you know, were there um, contexts or areas that were more natural for you? You know, so for me, I love people like Lydia, you know, people who are curious, who are seeking, who want to know more. That's, that's why I like doing this, um, encouraging us with God's word. But maybe you're the person who loves to see, you know, hardcore miracles. Um, you love seeing Jesus set free from oppression and, and um, addiction and and all, all those sorts of things. You love being around people like that demonic slave girl. You want to see people set free, and so you love meeting people where they are at, in the street, wherever they are. Or does evangelism come more natural for you in the workplace, as you work alongside work colleagues and friends? Whatever your context is, God, um, ask God to keep growing you in that area. You know Those areas where you have special gifts that he's given you that you can uh, sharpen them and so they can bear more fruit. But also, let's be prepared to be stretched in the areas that scare us too. You know, God loves to use us, especially in those areas of weakness. Uh, as it pulls us closer to him, makes us trust him and depend on him more, and it makes him look even more awesome. Okay, so church, be encouraged. You know, God is using us. And it's up to us to recognize that, to pray for that, and to listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting. So let's close this morning off, eh? In a final song of praise uh, to Jesus as we sing. And as we sing, I'd invite you, if you'd like prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you at the front. If any of this has touched you and you just want just some prayer, feel free to come on up. Um, and we'd love to pray for you.
love you. Thanks, team. Thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whanau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day. Be blessed.